Well, good morning. It is good to be back together again. It is good to see you all. I am hopeful and prayerful that you all have had a merry, merry Christmas and you're waiting with eager anticipation uh, for a new year. Um, I think many of us are looking forward to uh, 2021 and what the Lord will do in this new year that he will bring. Um, to let you know, if you're new here, welcome. Hello, my name is Johnny Harvey, lead pastor here at Southside Baptist Church. Um, if you've not been with us, I want to let you know that we have just recently, as a faith family, finished our Advent season where we have talked at great length about the birth of Jesus Christ and what it means for us, but more, uh, just as important, if not more important, the second coming of Christ and the anticipation we have for his rule and reign and his return. And so just so you know, beginning next Sunday, we are going to turn our attention again back to 2 Timothy and finish our series that we've titled Letters from the Pastor. And so if you, again, if you've not been with us, uh, this has been a series where we walk through Paul's letters to Titus. Um, we've finished 1 Timothy, and so now we're going to uh, complete the letters by walking through 2 Timothy again, where once again we're going to see Paul's words, uh, his final words really to Timothy, but also to the local church. Now, before we get there, though, I want to take a moment, if I could, to speak on what has happened here in uh, 2020 and also to prepare ourselves for what it is that the Lord will do in 2021. Now, before you tune me out at this point, um, I want to go ahead and tell you that no, this is not a vision casting message. Uh, this is not a, uh, a casting of the vision for where we believe the Lord will take us as a church in 2021. We are trusting God with that, his grace, and his sovereign plan. And so uh, we're not going to be having a, a vision casting type of moment here in this service. Uh, rather, what I'm hoping is that we will take this moment to uh, not only speak to uh, what has happened in 2020, but then to ultimately prepare ourselves uh, again for what the God will do in 2021. So today's message uh, from the word, I hope and pray, is one that will bring you great encouragement and edification and also preparation for what it is that the Lord will do. Now, let's just go ahead and acknowledge uh, the elephant in the room, if we could, uh, 2020 has been a year like no other. And so I want to take a moment and uh, in this last week that we have in 2020 to congratulate you uh, in a year that has seen a lot of sacrifice, hurt, and heartache. Uh, I want to take a moment and say you have now survived a global pandemic. And so what this means for us is in 10 years from now when technology continues to advance and our children and grandchildren complain because their new laptops have shut down, we will be able to remind them, yeah, you think that's hard? Try surviving a pandemic. We have done it, okay? We can say something that only the generations who lived in 1918 during the Spanish flu uh, can now say in this country. So congratulations, you have arrived. Clearly your health is good, God's grace is greater, and you are here, and what a story we will have to tell as the years go on. I also want to congratulate you because 2020, clearly for all of us, has been a year like no other. We all have survived yet another election cycle. I don't know about you, but there was once upon a time I enjoyed election cycles and I enjoyed the pomp and circumstance 
that went into an election, um, I will go ahead and admit I do not enjoy our recent elections. I do not enjoy watching two candidates yell at each other and scream at each other and tell us what the other person believes. I've never entered a conversation with anyone that I have ever disagreed with and said of them, let me tell you what you believe. Um, that's just nonsense. But here's where we find ourselves. We have survived yet another election. We have now watched in more serious terms as our country has found itself, again, in the midst of some incredible racial tension uh, for most of this year. As we've already said, we have now dealt with the fears and the unknowns that come with a global pandemic. And all of this happening while at the same time, within each of our individual lives, we've been dealing with added family pressures that come with our culture and the times that we've been living with. We've been dealing with added pressures from uh, work and what work looks like both in office and remotely. We have since been determined um, that the work that we do is clearly essential for our country to move forward. At the same time, many of us as Parents and grandparents who are helping with grandchildren, we have dealt with newfound pressures of school and what a school looks like and how teachers teach during a pandemic. And so it's at this point, I want to pause for a moment and thank our first responders, our, uh, our nurses, our healthcare workers, and our teachers. Uh, you have done something that I don't think many of our history books speak of or talk of in trying to educate children in the midst of a pandemic. And I can't even imagine what your Zoom classes look like with students. I have seen video and I just can't even begin to fathom what it is that you've had to go through going back and forth between brick and mortar to online learning. So thank you for your sacrifices and your services as you continue to teach our children. We have also dealt with feeling the pressure, not only from school and work and family, but now we're beginning to feel the pressure of what it is that may come next. And so we're now at this point where if you're like many of us, and most of us do this, you're probably at a point where you're now in the last week of a year that you're ready to just send off and you're prepared to see a new work happen in a new year. And so it's at this point where many of us begin making resolutions. Now, I, for one, am not a resolution person. I'm more of a goal person, so I do set goals for myself for 2021. I know some of you would argue, well, resolutions and goals are interchangeable. Um, I don't think so. Resolutions seem to be more resolute, if you will, more firm, whereas goals can be manipulated as you get into a year uh, to work with where you are. And so coming into a new year where we were all established goals for ourselves, we have to take a moment and get reflective and say, what is it have we, that we have learned over the course of this past year? Maybe we're at a point where individually and corporately we need to begin asking ourselves, where do we even go from here knowing that clearly 2021 is going to be different from 2020 and we have no idea what to expect? Well, Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, a church that was dealing with great persecution and yet doing well in the midst of it, they had found themselves as a faith family now asking the very same question as they struggled with knowing Paul, who was their great leader, was now imprisoned for the faith and could be moments away from his own death. And so Paul, in, in hearing this word coming from the church at Philippi, actually writes a letter to 
to keep the people of Philippi encouraged and to let them know that not only is he okay, but he also wants to tell them that as believers in Christ, no matter what is about to happen to Paul, he encourages them and calls them to keep moving forward. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to turn with me in Philippians chapter 3, and we will begin reading in verse 12. Now, once you have found your place in Philippians chapter 3, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now, again, these are Paul's words to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only Let us hold true to what it is we have attained. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you for this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity just to to be here and to be in this place. We thank you for the encouragement of being with like-minded believers. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to worship you in the reading of your word, in the singing of your word, and now in the study of your word. And so, Father, we ask in these next few moments together, Lord, we pray that you and you alone would be glorified. So, Father, be with us, watch over us, prepare our hearts for your truth, and God, we ask above all else, may your name be made great and may you be glorified in our worship today. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you, and it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, if I could set the scene for you just a moment, I want to let you know that Paul, in writing uh, to the church of Philippi here in Philippians, he now finds himself under house arrest in Rome at the time he was writing this letter. Now, chances are Paul had probably just received word from the church at Philippi. He'd probably just received resources and supplies while under house arrest. And so he was getting the word of what was happening in the local church. Now, to understand Paul's purpose in writing this letter, you have to first understand a little more about Philippi itself and also uh, the church and Paul's love for that particular church. You see, Philippi was actually a city that was established for veterans of the army during the Roman Empire. And so these particular group of people were given special privilege like land ownership and they were also given exemption from a variety of taxes that the Roman Empire had found themselves under. Now, this particular area in Philippi itself was actually known for its rich agricultural land. And so because of that, the Roman Empire built the Ignatian Way along the road to Philippi, which ultimately made it an important commercial city along the largest Roman trade route. Now, for Paul, in thinking of the church at Philippi, and particularly the city itself, You see, Paul, for him, this was actually a very special place for him because this was the place where he founded his first church in Europe. We read about this in Acts chapter 16. 
We also know of Philippi and Paul's ministry there that Paul was imprisoned in Philippi because of his ministerial work that he was doing. But by God's grace, for God's glory, both Paul and Silas were delivered from prison. And then what would ultimately happen is they would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the jailer and then they would be released. Now, we know, according to Paul's missionary journeys, that chances are he visited Philippi a few times after his initial departure. And so the relationship between the church and between Paul remained a strong one, so much so that the church maintained active support of the mission and ministry of Paul as he continued on in his mission journey. Now, upon receiving the news of Paul's imprisonment in Rome, The church sent encouragement, and chances are the church sent more resources and more support to Paul. And ultimately, we are now led, if you read through Philippians, we are now led to believe that they were obviously and clearly concerned about his well-being. And yet at the same time, they were also concerned about the well-being of their church and what would happen to their church or what would come next for their church if something were to happen to Paul. And so Paul writes to them. He writes to them in order to encourage them in their faith. He writes to them in order to tell the believers that no matter what may come or what it is that happens next, he wants them to continue moving forward in the work that Jesus Christ has called them to. Whether he is present with them or absent from them, Paul wanted the church at Philippi to keep moving forward. And so when we look at our passage today in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16, this is exactly what we see Paul saying to the church. You see, when we look again at the passage in Paul's own words, Paul teaches that in order to move forward, we must first recognize that we are still incomplete. We see this as we read again verse 12. You see, Paul here opens by saying, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Now let's pause there for a moment. You see, in Paul's own words, he actually acknowledges with seriousness and great weight that he himself, the great leader of the church at Philippi, has yet to be perfected. In fact, we know from Paul's words that he is still working out his own salvation with fear and trembling, according to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And so here in this moment, Paul understood that even as the great leader, the well-respected missionary, the, the great leader to the church, that even he himself, Paul, is a person who still doesn't have it all together. Paul still doesn't have everything figured out yet. And Paul understood that he would not be made complete until the day he was called heavenward and united with Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as we think of Paul's words here in verse 12, we need to understand that we too as believers in Christ, we are not complete yet. We are not whole yet. We are not perfect yet, but by God's grace, one day when we are reunited with him in glory, we will be made whole and perfect. But at the same time, in understanding that we are imperfect people, 
in understanding that we don't have it all figured out just yet. We need to realize that Paul in verse 12 is not giving us some sort of get out of jail free card. This is not a moment where we can use this moment of imperfection and say, well, this is why I sin because I'm imperfect. All of a sudden, we can't look at ourselves and say, well, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, therefore it now justifies the sin that I am about to commit. You see, as believers in Christ, we can't simply walk around wearing a t-shirt saying, Christians aren't perfect. We are just forgiven. You see, though true in premise, we need to realize that none of us has this life figured out. None of us are perfect by any stretch of imagination. I am reminded of this constantly in my own home, both as husband and father. I constantly see where I fail. And now by God's grace, two of my children have gotten much older and they are quick to point out the sins of their father when he sins. Now they are not doing that because they want to be justified in their own actions or be right. Rather, they are concerned about the spiritual well-being of their father. One thing that I am very thankful for. However, even as your pastor, I recognize that I am not perfect. Yet at the same time, we as believers are without excuse. You see, in other words, we cannot rest in our own righteousness. We can't, as believers, walk around thinking that we have everything figured out. Rather, like Paul, if we're going to rest in anything, let us rest in the peace of Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he alone provides. And so if we are do any, to do anything as we approach this new year, let us continue to work out our own faith. You see, Paul understood this very well. You see, Paul was overjoyed to be forgiven, but yet at the same time, if you read his words here, we clearly see that he was not content to stop life short until the day of completion or till the day of his own maturing. This is why Paul says, again in verse 12, that he will press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. In other words, Paul understands where grace and forgiveness have come from. Though forgiven, Paul still recognizes that even he himself is in need of God's grace. He is in need of God's mercy because even Paul is still an incomplete work. He still has much to do on this earth, and yet at the same time, he has much to do in his own personal walk in order to continue to grow in righteousness. And so in saying these words, Paul understood he was writing them to a church that was clearly struggling with perfection. You see, the church at Philippi had been hit with Judaizers who were teaching a faith that came separate from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so like the church at Philippi, today's modern church, we need to acknowledge that none of us are perfect we are still incomplete, and so we should still have a desire to grow. We are not always going to have it all together. And if I could just free you for a moment, in the grace of God, provided by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it is okay. We're not always going to get it right. We are going to make mistakes. We are going 
to fall short of the glory of God. I imagine many of us probably come in on Sunday mornings frustrated by the morning, frustrated by the weekend, frustrated over our weekly fall into temptation. And we may even struggle with whether or not we are even worthy to come in and worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what Jesus tells you is he says, it's okay. You're not perfect. But the beauty of it is Jesus is perfect. And so for God's glory, we are now covered by his grace. But now let's remember this as well. Let's remember that not only do we have imperfections, and so we now need to stop putting on the show and start being real about these particular imperfections. We now need to realize that the same holds true for the people who are around us. You see, when we see people, when we talk to people, we need to recognize that they are just as flawed as we are. They are just as imperfect as we are. And so if anything, let us show the people around us the love of Jesus Christ. Let us teach them of the grace of God and the mercy of God and how they can know him as Savior and Lord and ultimately grow in him as Lord and King. You see, if we are honest with ourselves, if we really truly see our lives, then we will see quickly that we are still incomplete. And again, as we have already said, that truly is okay because we belong to Christ Jesus, who according to Paul's words, has made us his own. You see, as we end a year and prepare to begin another, we have much to be thankful for that in spite of our imperfections, Jesus Christ looks to us and says, mine, you are mine. This moves us to point number two that Paul's trying to make here. You see, in order to move forward, we must walk away from the past. We see this again when we read verse 13. Now, this was a hard one for the church at Philippi, and honestly, it's a hard one for our church today. You see, Paul started the church at Philippi. He was their leader. So put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Imagine what it must be like when the great leader is gone. Well, I imagine it's at this particular point for the church that they started to get a bit reflective. They started remembering times gone past, and so they began getting stuck in the rut of remembering what was and not looking ahead to what could be. And so when you get to verse 13, Paul opens with the word brothers. Now, this was a specifically important word here because clearly, and we've already discussed this about Paul when writing to Titus and also writing to Timothy, that Paul is very intentional with his words. When you read any of Paul's letters and you just take a step back and look at the language he uses, you'll quickly begin to understand that Paul wrote with intent, he wrote with purpose, and he knew why he was writing what it was he was writing. And so for Paul to open with brothers, he is now opening this particular way because he wants the church at Philippi to realize that they are all family together with God. 
He was saying to them that we are all spiritual siblings to one another. And so now we begin to see how important this message is for Paul and how personal this message was for Paul. It was almost on the same level as what you would see Paul writing to Timothy or writing to Titus. Paul was literally putting his hands on the shoulders of the people at Philippi and saying to them, I really mean what it is that I am saying to you. And he goes on to tell them, I am not perfect, but here is now what I do know. And so Paul continues. He says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now here Paul is not saying that we should forget the past. Now by past, Paul is thinking specifically both of his accolades, but also his former way of life. In fact, if needed, we know of Paul, according to the word, that he had no problem spouting off his credentials whenever the need arose. We actually see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. However, Paul doesn't want to focus his time or his attention on the past. Now, were many of those moments good for Paul? Yes, I would imagine so. But that's not who Paul is now, nor is it where Paul currently finds himself. You see, for Paul, his goal and his mission was to continue to remove himself and to remove the church from the past and to focus, or better yet, strain forward to what lies ahead, which for the church is knowing Christ's sufficiency as we draw closer to his return. You see, I imagine by the time we look at verse 13, Paul is saying this of himself and for the church, I am thankful for God's graces both in my past, but also in my present. And so now is the time to focus forward on knowing Jesus Christ and knowing him fully. Now, it's at this point, G. Walter Henson writes in his own commentary, and speaking of Paul in verse 13, he says, Paul did not keep turning over in his head the good old days of active ministry service while imprisoned. He did not remind himself of his achievements nor the trophies of his past. Although he did not actually forget the past, Paul emphatically chose to disregard it. In other words, Paul was looking and always looking forward to what Christ would do next. Now, this is important for us as we look at verse 13 and think about it in terms of our own church. As we begin to prepare to turn another chapter from 2020 into the year 2021, we, by God's grace, need to remember fondly the the grace and the victories that we have seen in our past. However, let us not become so focused on the past that we begin to miss what Jesus Christ, through his sufficiency, is doing now through his church. You see, in order to keep moving forward, we have to be willing to remove ourselves from the past. You see, whether we like it or not, 2021 is coming, okay? Unless the Lord decides to come back this week, which I don't think any of us would complain about that. Either way, if the Lord tarries and by his grace we see another year, 2020 is coming and new challenges will await. 
dare I say that many of us would agree in this room that we will still probably be living in the midst of a pandemic. If we continue to watch the news, we will continue to hear how horrible our world is becoming. And so as we go into this new year with the challenges that await our families, with the challenges that await our work, the challenges that may come for the church, and even still dealing in the midst of a pandemic, the question we now have to ask ourselves is, how are we preparing now for what it is that Christ will do next? You see, because here's the truth. Our church here has a rich history. And that history is not anything the church did on its own. It was what Jesus Christ did through his grace and mercy. The fact that we are meeting today is because of God's grace and mercy. It has nothing to do with the pews. It has nothing to do with the carpet. It has nothing to do with the lights or the trees on stage. It has nothing to do with the, the, the remodel that's happened so far and the work that's still to come. It all has to do with the fact that God has allowed us to meet together today. And so how are we preparing? How are we praying with anticipation for what it is that he will do in 2021? Because we have no idea what's going to happen. But we do know the one who already holds it. We do know the one who has already prepared a plan for us. This now leads to point number three that Paul makes in this passage. He says, in order to move forward, we must ready ourselves to press on. We see this in verse 14. Here we now see Paul's ultimate goal and his purpose for his own life, but also in writing to the church at Philippi. He says that I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what we now have can be best described as Paul's personal training manual. Here Paul reveals that everything he is doing is being done with great intention. Even in being imprisoned, or better yet, while being imprisoned, Paul notes how it, that moment is being used for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He writes about this back in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12. So again for Paul as we've already said everything he does he does with intent. Everything that he writes he is writing with intent. Everything for Paul every moment for Paul has a purpose. That's why he says in Philippians chapter 1 verses 20 and 21 he says his whole life is to be lived I'm paraphrasing to be lived for Christ and if it cost him cost him his life then even in his death that would be gain so when you look at the life of Paul, when you look at the ministry of Paul, we can see that Paul was constantly preparing. Paul was constantly readying himself to press on in the mission given to him by Christ Jesus our Lord. And so for Paul, he was constantly training himself, preparing, growing, and seeing every day as another opportunity. So now think about this for a moment when we compare our lives to the life of Paul. How would we stack up against his preparation and training? Are we seeing every moment as holy? Are we seeing every moment as an intentional opportunity to live the gospel and even share the gospel? 
You see, in this particular season that we're in, that, that God has us in, that God still holds us in, are we seeing these opportunities and the opportunities around us to make him known? You see, here's the reality when we look at our own lives. It all comes down to discipleship for us. You see, discipleship for the believer, according to Paul, is something that never ends. We should constantly be training ourselves, preparing ourselves intently for the opportunities that the Lord will give to us. You see, for Paul, discipleship uh, was a lifelong process that all of us are called to continue to train in and then to continue to work out as we encounter people around us. And Paul would now move from this point into his fourth point of how we are to keep moving forward. He says in order to move forward, we must now be grounded in intentional discipleship. We read about this in verse 15. You see, as Paul has already revealed, our growth, our spiritual journey of maturing is to continue, and it is one that is an ongoing process. This is why Paul says in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Now here Paul notes that those who think like him will see that they have not yet been made complete. They have not been yet made whole. They still have much to learn. They still have areas that they can grow in. You see, in using the word mature here, Paul is speaking to those who are no longer children of the faith anymore. Rather, he's speaking to those who have matured enough in the faith to again recognize that according to verse 12, they have not yet arrived. And so Paul, in sticking with his theme to keep moving forward, He's not speaking to a selective group of Christians here. Rather, he's speaking to all Christians. And what Paul does is he begins to call them to realize that they have yet to reach the finish line. And so because of that, we must stay grounded and rooted in discipleship, growing in our faith daily. You see, Paul's call here for verse 15 His call for the believer is to be painfully aware of our pockets of immaturity while eagerly anticipating the moment when we cross the finish line and receive our prize, which will be the day that we see Jesus Christ fully and clearly. You see, it's at this moment in verse 15 that Paul is telling us that as believers, we can't simply say, well, I have done discipleship. I've already taken discipleship class. If that's really what we think discipleship is, then may I be the first to say to you to go back and read the word of God and redefine discipleship biblically? It's an ongoing process. It's a process that never ends until the day that we are called home to be with the Lord. Paul would also argue here for us that we cannot look around at one another and say to one another that I don't need evangelism. I've already taken that class. I've already done that sort of thing. You see, Paul is speaking to those of us who have taken evangelism explosion before and fish and pray and faith and whatever other evangelism program that we have been a part of. 
You see, Paul says to us that if we are saying these things, that we don't need discipleship, if we are saying that we don't need to be trained in evangelism, if we are saying that we don't need any of these things because we've already done that class and checked that off the list, if we're the people who are saying these things, then Paul is now arguing that we are now not speaking as ones who have matured in our faith. You see, mature believers recognize their weaknesses. Mature believers recognize their flaws, and so they desire to continually work out their faith. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, here is a shameless plug. We're actually going to get two opportunities for us as a faith family to begin to work out our faith and to continue to grow in discipleship. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, yes, we, including myself, all of us need these two things in our life. You see, as we continue to reopen the church, and yes, we are monitoring the situation daily, I want you to know that AM discipleship is now coming. Is it going to be like your Sunday school class from before? No, it's not. But that's because we are living in a time like we've never seen before. And so we're having to accommodate for that. However, an AM discipleship is now coming where we are now hoping to be more intentional with our Sunday morning time. Now, here's what I mean by that. I have watched as a pastor too many curriculums come from our larger entities that continue to repeat the same biblical stories over and over and over and over again for the past 20 years. Now, I don't mind those stories being repetitive. I think repetition is good. That's why I'm a huge fan of things like New City Catechisms. I think the questions and the repetition are great and needed and necessary. But here's my problem. There's only so many different ways that we can ask the question, what color was Jesus's gray donkey when he rode into Jerusalem? Now, some of you may think I'm joking that you've never seen that in a curriculum. I want you to know that I've seen that question in every curriculum that has been used by this church. Why does that even matter? And so I believe now, like the church at Philippi, we are now at a point where we need to be more intentional in our discipleship. That's why you're going to see particular discipleship classes open up as we continue to get closer to reopening our church back to what normal should be like. We're going to offer classes like Intro to the Old Testament, Biblical Hermeneutics, and Church History. Now, many people may hear these things and be intimidated by them. Do not be. These are things that are good and right, and as believers, we should know them. There may be many of us in the church who may look at these things and say, they don't matter. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I have a fundamental problem if that's how we feel about that, because the Bible has a fundamental problem if we feel that way. In fact, Paul has already addressed this by the time we get to verse 15. But just for the sake of argument, for those of us who feel that these particular subjects do not matter, let me ask this question or these questions. How do we understand God and our need for Jesus Christ if we don't understand the Old Testament? Genesis chapter 3 is more, uh, is more than just a, a passage about a specific people group that we have no idea who they are. It's about the fall of man. It's about the sin of first Adam. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we see how it ties to the prophecies that would later come, both by David and Psalms and Isaiah and Jeremiah, but then also the prophecies fulfilled as we get into the second Adam or the birth of Jesus Christ. 
You see, we have to understand the Old Testament in order to arrive at that particular point. How do we know, let me ask you this question, how do we know what we believe, or better yet, why we believe it without biblical hermeneutics or the knowledge of biblical interpretation? You see, this should be vitally important for us today because here is a growing concern that has hit me square in the face as we've walked through this pandemic. Now, a lot of churches have a lot of different views on whether or not you should live stream your service or whether or not you should record your service on video and then post it. I have my opinions. I have dear brothers around me who have disagreeing opinions, and that's okay. By God's grace, we still love one another, all right? But here's what concerns me. What concerns me is when I see believers, believers in Jesus Christ, believers who would tell you they believe in the inerrancy of Scripture and they believe in God's faithfulness according to the Word and they believe in the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ and now all of a sudden because of a pandemic they are watching YouTube videos of pastors who call themselves pastors but they do not preach biblical truth. They preach heresy and we're okay with it and we accept it. Well, how do we know what is biblically truth if we don't know how to read and study the Bible? So this is why we're offering that class. Some people would ask, well, why does church history matter? Well, can I ask you a question? And again, I'm a history person, so I find that slightly offensive. I'm kidding. I'll get over it. My question is this. How do we know how we got here as a church? if we don't study church history? How many of us actually realize that Southside Baptist Church was actually a church plant in its earliest days that was birthed out of First Baptist of Brandon, Florida? They are our sister church. And so you know what that means? By God's grace, when First Baptist struggles, we struggle with them. They're our sister church in more than just name. They were the church that helped plant us. But First Baptist Brandon was planted from another church who was then, and you can read about their history. It's rather interesting who was then planted by another church, who was then planted by several other churches. You can trace the history all the way back to the American Revolution, and then if you really want to get into the grime of it, you can jump across the pond and see how Southside came from Europe and what the Lord was doing over there as he was sending his people to the Americas. It's really a powerful thing. At the same time, let me ask you this question about church history. How will we ever know why membership to a church matters if we do not know church history? Because you see, when you study church history, you'll quickly pick up on the faithfulness of the believers. You'll pick up on subjects like uh, covenant membership and what that means for a church and how historically we as Baptists have always believed in covenant membership. And it's really quite a powerful thing. Now, some of you may not have any idea of what I'm talking about, but that's okay. You're going to get into it. I don't want to steal the thunder of another teacher. So So here again is my plug. Show up. Show up. Join us for this time as we dive deeper into the word to find biblical answers to some of our world's greatest questions and some of the questions that we even have ourselves. But at the same time, and here's here's point number two of why intentional discipleship matters. It matters, um, and and where we're gonna see that mattering in our church is not only in our AM discipleship, but also in the coming of our gospel communities. You see, by God's grace, we've got two gospel communities uh, already a part of our church. And we see what the Lord is doing through those groups that are meeting. By God's grace, at the beginning of 2021, we'll start a third one. And so what happens with these believers is they gather, 
They gather for the purpose of breaking bread, for praying, for fellowship. They even gather for a time of talking through the word or even teaching through the word. And you know, here's the funny part. The people who are leading these gospel communities now, they didn't just create this stuff out of thin air. It literally comes from Acts chapter two, verse 42 in what the New Testament church was supposed to do. And so what we see, not only with our gospel communities that are coming and our discipleship and the way we worship, we are seeing intentional discipleship. We are seeing that everything about church and everything about worship, even every element of the worship service, it's there for a reason. It has purpose and it has intent. You see, for us as believers, it is imperative that we continue to worship together as a community. That's why discipleship is important. It's why the gospel communities will be important. It's why worship is important. You see, as believers, we are to seek ways both individually and corporately to continue to grow as a church. And when I talk about growth, I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about discipleship. But then here's the reality. This maturing of our faith and growth in our faith, this is simply not just for us, but it's also for the future of the generations to come that will call Southside Baptist Church home. Now, Paul closes this passage in verse 15 by saying, if you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. You see, Paul here is telling us that he is praying for the people who don't get it. Because, because Paul recognizes that there are gonna be people who simply do not get it. And so the only thing you can do at this point is to turn them over to the Lord and pray for them. You see, we too as believers need to be praying for one another that we will always see our need to be together, that we will always challenge one another to continually grow. So in a moment, as we take communion and as we come down to receive the elements and before we take it together as a faith family, pay attention to who's coming because if you wanna know who to pray for, the people who are coming are the people we need to be praying for. We need to be praying for one another that we would intentionally grow in our walk as we prepare for what the Lord will do in this next year. Now, this will ultimately lead to our fifth point in the service and our final point. In order to move forward, we must continue to move, according to verse 16. Now, again, I recognize that this sounds eerily similar to pressing on, but let me just unpack this thought for just a moment. You see, Paul here continues with his encouragement to the believers. He reminds them that when the race seems too hard with all this straining and all this pressing on, he just tells them, he says, remember what it is that you have attained. In other words, here Paul is reminding the church of the grace, the hope, and the mercy that they now have in Christ because of Christ. And so Paul is telling them to hold true to what it is that Jesus Christ is doing. In other words, to put this in layman terms, Paul is saying, praise God for what he has done and in the midst of everything that is happening continue running continue growing in your faith you see the growth and the progress um, that we have made should ultimately reinforce our commitment to continue to move forward in what it is that Christ has called us to next not only as individuals but also as family and as a faith family together here at the church 
You see, I was reminded of this point not too long ago when I had the opportunity, and this, this conversation actually happened several years ago, but I was speaking with a friend who is an ultra-marathon runner. Now, I don't know if you know anything about ultra-marathons. Um, he lost me at running, okay? I am not a runner, all right? So when you add marathon before that, I'm out. When you add word like super-duper or ultra I am seriously out, okay? I may come support you in your marathon, but if you're running something that adds a word before that, I am praying for you from the comforts of my own home, and that's as good as it gets, okay? I'm, that's my confession to you. So I was speaking to my friend who's an ultra runner, and I, again, I had, to, I had to research this. I didn't know what it was. I was like, we're getting fancy with these 5Ks. I was wrong. This is not a 5K at all. A person who is an ultra runner runs marathons that average anywhere from 35 to 100 miles in one race. What? I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if I'm running a mile, I'm being chased. And I'm only giving you one mile before I figure out what to do with my life. Okay? That's how this goes. So I was talking to my friend who is an, an ultra runner, again, beyond me. And I asked him, I said, brother, how, how do you do it? And he said, how do I do what? I said, how do you do these ultra marathons? And then he asked me, oh, do you want to train for one? I said, no. God loves me too much for that. He knows that even I have limitations. I'm asking you, how do you do it? How do you do an ultra marathon? And then he thought about it for a moment. Here's what he said. He simply answered me by saying, I just keep moving forward. And I thought, man, shouldn't that be true of us today as we continue to hold firm to what it is that Christ has done for us? Shouldn't that be true of us today as we begin to think upon what it is that Jesus Christ will continue to do in our lives you see, when we go back and read Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, we clearly see that Paul had set goals here for himself and also for the church at Philippi. He wanted them and himself to continue to know Christ, to be more like Christ, to continue to grow in Christ, and to one day be with Christ for all of eternity. So in light of Paul's goals that he's laid out for the church here, we now have to ask ourselves, as a modern church, looking at the example set before us by Paul in the church at Philippi, have we set the bar too low as Christians? Have we now set a lower standard for ourselves and our maturing in our faith and our passion to share the gospel? Have we set a lower standard even for our church? How are we continuing to move forward in this new day that God is giving to us. Now again, I recognize that things are very different now, but it doesn't mean that we have to stop. You see, because here's the reality, when we stop growing, when we stop maturing, when we stop worship, when we stop sharing the gospel, that's when we as believers become stale and we become stagnant. You see, when we begin to think that we have it all figured out, it's in that moment that we need to quickly realize we know nothing. So together as a faith family, let's continue to grow. Let's continue to press on. Let's continue to strain together. And in Paul's own encouragement, let's continue to keep moving 
forward. Now I want to come back to the t-shirt that we were talking about earlier. This was the t-shirt that where we said it read, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. That statement is actually partially true. Christians aren't perfect. This is true. We are not perfect. We are wretched sinners in need of a Savior. We come to this, this saving faith, obviously, as we believe, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to the Scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. Not anything that we have done, but what He has done through us. We are not in a position to act like we have it all together, nor will we ever be. Because you see, it is Jesus Christ who holds us together. Let us never forget that. At the same time, this t-shirt reads that we are just forgiven. Well, that's not entirely true. You see, yes, we are forgiven. But we're not just forgiven. Forgiveness is not something that God flippantly threw around. Forgiveness, rather, is a priceless treasure given to us by the grace of God. You see, we don't just run a race in order to get to the finish line, and it's at that finish line where we then receive forgiveness. No, we are not just forgiven in that regard. It's not something to be obtained. It's not another medal that we put around our neck just to hang up on a clipboard when we get home. Rather, grace was given to us. Forgiveness is given to us at the starting line before we even run by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the answer is no, we are not just forgiven. You see, by giving us his gift of grace and his gift of mercy, by giving us forgiveness, God fuels our desire to be given even more of his gifts of grace in order to live a life committed to him. God then fuels the passion for our lives to be lived to give him the glory. Because you see, he gave us the reward before we even started. So as we approach this new year, let's approach it with grace. Let's approach it knowing that we have much to be thankful for. We have much to celebrate, not only in our lives individually, but in our lives collectively as a faith family. But at the same time, let's realize that we still have much to do. There is work to be done in this church. There is work to be done in our community. There are people who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So no matter what happens with 2021, let's just keep moving forward. For the glory of God, by his infinite goodness, and for the grace and mercy that can be found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep moving forward. Let's pray together.